everyone, and welcome to this episode of Waynesville at Work. I'm your host, Brooke Anderson, and this is a podcast where we interview Waynesboro entrepreneurs and business leaders to learn more about the origin stories of their business, the passion for the work they do, ways they interact with the community, and a whole lot more. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Ann Stanley, the owner of Pyramid Appalachian Magic and Remedy, a brick and mortar store in Waynesboro, Virginia. So Ann, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. So I am really fascinated um, by what you do there. And I think your name kind of speaks to what is happening there at Pyramid, Um, Pyramid Appalachian Magic and Remedy. So can you explain for people that might not be exactly sure what you do, um, what's going on at the store? Sure. So, you know, more or less, it is a metaphysical shop. But within that name, you know, I really prefer to focus on practices that are, you know, native to our area Um, that could include a variety of tools. Um, Sometimes it's a garden shovel. Sometimes it's a crystal ball. Um, Sometimes (laughs) it's a pack of playing cards. Um, And other times it's, you know, freshly grown herbs um, or just, you know, a hiking stick to get out there and find them yourself. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, it is a metaphysical shop, um, with a focus on, once you know it, Appalachian Magic and Remedy. Perfect. And so Appalachian Magic and Remedy, we can deduce what the Appalachian part comes from, but can you explain a little bit more about the magic and the remedy part of it? Yeah. Um, so the magic portion is, it's like my, what I use as a catch-all phrase. Um, you know, we have a lot of practitioners in the area from all different backgrounds, all different religions, spiritualities, um, and some terms that, you know, are colloquially used now don't necessarily apply to everybody involved. Um, you can't call everyone a witch. Um, so the magical portion applies to a broader spectrum of people. Um, it could be you know, someone getting into something like earth magic, it could be a gardener. Um, It could be, you know, it could be your wife. You just never know. Right. (laughs) Um, And the remedy, the remedy portion, um, like I said before, we do focus on, or at least we try to focus on, you know, local remedies, things that are tried and true. Um, ingredients like sassafras and pine tar and stinging nettles, um, simple things like even just like honey, um, all used to treat a variety of ailments naturally and homeopathically. Right. In this area, um, I think a lot of us can relate in this area and even beyond to some of the natural remedies that we have noticed, you know, our grandmother uses or our parents use. So the connection between what you do there at the store and what people may be familiar with in their own families is not necessarily um, so different. Is that right? Exactly that. Um, A lot of the times uh, my regulars, even a lot of new people who have been coming in this year, um, they're really just trying to tap into what it was their grandmother, they, their great-grandmother did. Um, they want access to that knowledge because for whatever reason, 
they that it, the information wasn't passed on. Right. Um, and we're in the midst of seeing a big boom of sharing that inherited knowledge. Um, so Pyramid is there to help facilitate that. Do we have all the answers there? No, but we can help you find it. Right. And so people at varying levels of interest can come and find, you know, products and resources and educational things, you know, at Pyramid, it sounds like. You can buy soap and candles if that's all you want. Like sure. we have a ton of locally locally made products. Like we have stuffed animals right now that are locally made. So awesome. we have a lot of gifty things um, and then a lot of, you know, the more interesting things. Sure, sure. So um, one of the things that I noticed about Pyramid is you have such a strong connection with various vendors and artisans from the area. Why is that such an important part of your business model? Um, because that's how I started out. Um, I was, I've been making candles since I was 21, 22. Um, and I put my product up in shops like mine. Um, into brick and mortars that were family owned or independently owned. And they allowed me to a, not just a platform, but a voice to get my, to get my stuff out there um, and into the hands of our locals. Um, you know, I grew up fortunately with the internet and Etsy was a big thing. So mm -hmm. selling online was pretty reasonable territory for me at a young age. It was marketing to a local community that was hard. So I believe that having a platform uh, from which people can launch themselves is one of the most important things you can do um, for others as a business owner, just providing that space for other people to grow and hopefully start their own business. Right, right. And one of the um, things that you participated in was the Grow Waynesboro competition, which ha actually shares that sort of mission that you just spoke about. Um, what was your experience like in grow in that Grow Waynesboro competition? Oh, it was terrible. No, <laughs> it was it was incredible. Um, what I had was a very broad idea of what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. and what Grow Waynesboro did is they helped me really hone in that idea into what is essentially a business plan, right. um, which was invaluable to me because most people, when they look at a business plan, they're like, I don't know, I don't know. Um, so not only did they provide the education and guidance, but you know, having the voices of other local business owners give their two cents and um, being able to connect with city officials and other business owners, again, um, was invaluable. Um, really, they were the start of my, I guess, community outreach before I had even opened. Right, right. Um, yeah, that, that sort of community feel is so important to new entrepreneurs and even seasoned entrepreneurs as you go along in your process, um, for sure. And one of the things that I'm always interested in is where a person's entrepreneurial spirit comes from. And I've heard a variety of stories. So for you, where does that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Were you a kid with a lemonade stand? Were you always um, sort of thinking that you would own your own business one day? So yes, I was the kid with a lemonade <laughs> stand. Um, and I always had like these grandiose, like all 
like not all children, most children, like, you know, they have a grandiose idea of what they want to be when they grow up. Um, and I always wanted to have like some sort of shop. Did I think it was going to be a metaphysical one? No, I have no idea. Um, but really, I think it all comes down to, um, it's something that was learned generationally. Um, so my grandmother uh, moved here from Vietnam, first generation, um, and she opened up a nail salon and she still owns that nail salon. Nice. Um, so I think growing up in an environment where I had to like work from a very young age um, for a family business and then having my parents both open up their own businesses as well. Some of them were brick and mortars um, and just having a hand in all of that and seeing all the work that went into it, but how rewarding it was in the end, mm -hmm. I think really um, solidified my entrepreneurial spirit. Nice, nice. Um, and you're not originally from this area, but you were drawn to this area. And one of the things that I actually um, learned from you, which I think is truly fascinating, is that um, you had kind of looked into the history of the Shenandoah Valley and how it's actually the same mountain range as the Scottish Highlands. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and what else sort of drew you to this area? Yeah. Um, so brief geography lesson. Um, so back when all the continents were actually one large continent called Pangea, um, we had the Appalachian mountain range. Um, now when all these continents split, it just so happened that a portion of the, that mountain range ended up where Scotland is now. Um, so we do share the oldest mountain range in the world with Scotland, which is really awesome. Um, it's also interesting to find, um, I'm always studying, you know, the geography, the anthropology, anthrop anthropology of the area. Um, one, not only because it's fascinating to find that cultural blend from Scotland to here, but all the cultures that are here as well, we're talking about um, BIPOC communities, um, indigenous Americans, black folks, um, and it, how it became like this melting pot of culture. Um, and I think the icing on the cake for me went after I had moved out here was finding out that um, I have blood ties to the mountain range. Wow. Um, I did some research on my dad's side and found out some of our ancestry there and realized that, you know, I didn't grow up here, but it's interesting to find that I was drawn to it for such a long time. Nice. Yeah, it is fascinating how we sometimes feel what we think is an unexplained connection to a certain area and then come to find out we have a direct connection in some yeah. way. Yeah, I love I love hearing about those those stories. I know that um, the diversity of the area um, of Waynesboro in particular is really important to you in choosing to move here and then have your shop here. Why is um, diversity so, so important to you? Um, well, diversity, it, it is, it's just, it is important to me. Um, one, because of who I am, like I, I'm a diverse person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and everywhere I've lived, I've lived on both ends of the country. Um, diversity is something that 
it keeps everything going. It keeps cultures moving. It keeps people on a trajectory of momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe diversity and inclusion is not only just the future for our country. Um, I think it's the future of business. Um, you cannot be an island amongst yourself. You can't surround yourself with, well, I mean, you can, you can surround yourself with an echo chamber, but it's not going to end up very well. So I think that, um, diversity is just the inevitable progress of where we need to be. Right. So, so, so important for sure. Um, one of the things that, um, is interesting about, the the day and age that we're in right now is that as sort of the collective humanity we all have a common experience um that we're going through which is which is COVID-19 um I was thinking about that particularly in regards to what you do because so much of it is kind of connecting like body mind and spirit um, and that's something I think that's on a lot of people's minds is, is how do we take good care of body, mind, and spirit in a time that is so incredibly stressful and uncertain for so many people. Um, so kind of leaning on your expertise, what advice do you have for people in, in kind of having good self-care at a point in time when, when things are so stressful? Um, so... I'm gonna simplify my answer with um, a metaphor from one of my favorite authors, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, he's a Vietnamese Buddhist. Um, so I'll start with um, vulnerability. You know, we are all at a time of not just turmoil, but healing from turmoil, um, whether that was last year or, you know, 20 years ago. Um, we're all in this state of, you know, kind of coming to terms with that. Um, so my favorite, I guess, way to describe that is, you know, you're sitting in your living room, right? And you're holding this object and you're not really ready to get rid of it. You don't want it, but you're not ready to let it go. So you put it in your basement and eventually you just keep putting things into your basement that you don't want to deal with. So you're sitting there in your living room one day and all of a sudden the basement door flies open and all of this crap just spills out into your living room floor and now you have to deal with it. Um, So that's kind of like a roundabout way of saying like, you know, we've come to a point where we, there's no more room in our basement and our subconscious for the things we don't want to deal with. So my advice would be pick it up one at a time, study that object again, and figure out if you're willing to let it go. Um, and vulnerability is the key to doing that. And, you know, really just being true to your whole self, not just your pretty living room self. Right, right, exactly. Acknowledging, just like you said, your your whole self. I've heard that phrased as what you don't release gets stored. So, you know, it um, definitely makes you think about how important releasing is and we can't release what we don't acknowledge so um definitely that that certainly resonates with me and i'm sure most of our our listening audience as we all try to navigate this very um trying trying time that we're going through 
Um, so that's kind of the, the body, mind and, and spirit connection um, that people are going through with COVID. And then of course, entrepreneurs like yourself are having to deal with very practical implications of being business owners during a pandemic. So how has it been to be a business owner during a pandemic? How has that been for you? Um, I've been blessed. I've been very fortunate. Um, last year in January, I did a marketing trends of 2020 class for the city. Um, I held it right over at Heritage. We had about 30, 30 so entrepreneurs, different speakers came. Um, and we really talked about, the big thing we talked about was getting your small business online um, and changing the way people can access you. Um, and then April hit and it all came to a really quick reality. Um, I was lucky enough because I had already been doing those things because that's how I started my business. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess for me, aside from that, you know, the day I was supposed to celebrate my one year anniversary of being open, I actually had to close my doors to the public for two months. Wow. Um, so that was bittersweet, mm -hmm. but I worked around it. You know, I, I posted everything online. I had sales, uh, we had store pickups. Um, so I know it's been difficult and I'm so sad to see so many businesses having to shut down or go into more in debt just to stay afloat. Um, but I've been really blessed with a very supportive community. Um, the city's been very helpful. And, um, you know, I think the hardest thing is just keeping people's masks on their faces and covering <laughs> up the nose, cover up your nose, people. That's, I don't like reminding people of that. It makes me feel bad. So don't make me do it. <laughs> That's right. The things we have to think about now, um, proper mask wearing, um, for sure, for sure. Um, so, you know, certainly right now there are unique challenges for people thinking about starting, starting a business. Um, and as somebody that's, you know, been there and you're, and you're doing it, what is, are your best pieces of advice for people that are, that are thinking about launching something? Um, so my answer to that is loaded with dichotomy because it's always a balance of what you're going to have to do. And the first thing is um, cut out the naysayers. Um, don't listen to the people who, you know, are like, oh, that's a great idea. But or, you know, what you should do is um, stop listening to those people and start surrounding yourself with the people who not only believe in you, but vocalize it. They tell you, they tell others, um, surround yourself with the people who want you to do well. And that's really it. Right, right. You, you actually told me um, an interesting story that I think your dad told you. It yeah. sort of illustrates that point. Can you, can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, when I, at a young age, my, my dad's from all over, but mostly he's from Texas. So some of his colloquialisms are really fun. Um, but when I was really young and I was, I came home from school one day and I was really downtrodden. Um, and he gave me this, you know, he's like, don't let the crabs pull you back into the pot. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what does that mean? And it's kind of a morbid analogy, but 
here we are. Um, so when you put a bunch of crabs into a stock pot, um, they just want to climb out. Their goal is to get out of the boiling water. Um, and when and eventually one crab will get to the top and as soon as he starts pulling himself out, another crab will grab his back leg and pull him back down. Mm. It's not because they want the crab to boil with them. It's because they're trying to get out too. Mm. Um, so my advice, I guess my dad's advice would be, um, don't let the crabs bring you back down. <laughs> I think I will honestly remember that from this day forward. <laughs> I love that story so much. And I can picture this pot in my mind and these crabs and it makes so much sense. So it sticks and it's harder because I'm like vegetarian. So I'm like, oh, this horrible <laughs> analogy. And I'm like, oh my God, this poor crab. <laughs> Right. These figurative crabs, we'll say. <laughs> That's what we'll say. Um, so I know that you are a trained um, herbalist. Where did your interest in, um, in that come from? Um, in my backyard when I was eight. Uh, Where all good ideas start. I mean, yeah, really. or the bad ones. <laughs> uh, most of them were really horrible ideas. <laughs> and, you know, once I started you know, getting into grade school and taking those little chemistry classes, you know, you find, you know, what does like, what if I mix flour with Windex? Like, mm -hmm. what'll that do? Like, always keep your cabinets locked. Kids will always find a way in. Lock your cabinets, because I certainly did. Um, so I was just, I started mixing things up in the kitchen. I've always kind of like been a mixologist. I like the chemical reaction. Yeah. Um, and then when I was older, I had to go to school for a little bit for massage. And, you know, we talked about essential oils and herbs and skin, skin sensitivities. Um, and I think that really fine-tuned where I wanted to take that mixology, if you will. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how um, so often um, some of the, how, how tied we are so often to the things that we were interested in as kids, you know, and a lot of times with entrepreneurs that um, I talk with, you know, their life somehow circles back around to those like eight-year-old backyard moments. Um, That's where I'm at right now. I'm literally foraging in my backyard in the spring for the same ingredients. Like yes. it, it has come full circle. Your eight-year-old self would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know, you know, COVID-19 has, has pivoted some things for you. I know that um, a big part of what you were doing before were some like educational classes, which were a good entry point for people that um, wanted to explore some of the offerings that you had there at Pyramid. What do you see um, for the future bringing those back or, or what do you see as sort of the next evolution of, of Pyramid? Um, so the next evolution has really been hinging on this private community we've been building in within our valley. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, over 700 members now. And because we're not able to see each other and have those classes and have the fun parties and get togethers and cookouts that I've had planned this year, um, we've kind of turned to like community outreach. Uh, we do a lot of crowd funds. We do a lot of charities. Um, we did a private food drive uh, last winter um, and we're also we're building like a library of resources um, so people have access to you know free knowledge mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the future of pyramid for me, I know I'm a brick and mortar retail, um, but to be completely honest, I, I would love to see pyramid at a trajectory that is more for community development and humanitarian rights. Um, I'd love to even, I always say it um, to people who listen, um, I don't really, I don't care if my business fails because Pyramid will always sustain itself um, because I've chosen to focus on people and individuals and community and knowledge. You you can't stomp that out. Um, So hopefully we'll be going a little bit more public with some of the community service endeavors we've been working on. Nice, nice. Yeah, one of the um, quotes that comes to mind is, you know, business or people don't do business with businesses, they do business with people. And just like you said, like that people to people connection is really what sustains and, and the education piece um, is, is so important. So um, we all look forward to learning more about those endeavors that, that you're doing. Um, and uh, thank you so, so much for for joining me today and sharing not just your um, entrepreneurial knowledge, but just your life wisdom. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. And thank you for all that you guys are doing to support entrepreneurs and small business and um, giving us a voice. That's really important. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. And if anybody is watching and wants to learn more information about OnStory or any of the entrepreneurs that we have interviewed, please visit the websites and social media channels of Visit Waynesboro, Grow Waynesboro, and Waynesboro Economic Development. You'll be able to find this podcast on YouTube, all of the um, podcast channels that you prefer to listen to, um, and on those websites that I mentioned. Thank you so much for watching and we will be back soon with another Waynesboro entrepreneur.